Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Thrive Differently. I am so excited to interview a very dear friend, Jennifer Ruiz Williams. Jenny is an international soccer icon. She has served as a member of the Mexican national team, playing at the FIFA World Cup, earning three medals at the Pan American Games, and qualifying for the Olympics. She has also played professionally for both the Bay Area Breeze of the Women's Premier Soccer League and Seattle Rain FC. Let me try that again. She has also played professionally for both the Bay Breeze. Fuck. She has also played professionally for both the Bay Area Breeze of the Women's Premier Soccer League and Seattle Rain FC of the National Women's Soccer League. As a coach, Jenny holds one of the highest ranks of coaching as a U.S. soccer a licensed coach. She has coached both at the youth level and division one collegiate level, where she is not just recognized for high performing teams, but teams that have achieved academic excellence. In addition to all of that, Jenny has been seen on CBS sports as a TV analyst and is an alumni of teach for America. She received her MA from Loyola Marymount from Loyola Marymount, and a BA from UNLV, where she played collegiately. Jenny and her husband, Kevin, are parents to two amazing kids, Levi and Paige, and she has such a phenomenal story that I am so excited for you to hear today and listen to this inspiring woman. But before we kick off, Jenny, welcome. Can you please, please tell our listeners a little bit more about you, who you are, and what you do? Okay. First of all, that was a really flattering introduction. And you are the one who played at a super high level, Miss Rutgers. Um, okay. Yep. My name is Jenny. I grew up in Southern California and I currently am the head coach at UNLV uh, with women's soccer at my alma mater and kind of, yeah, I just living an exciting life with my husband and my two kids and um, yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> so I know you don't necessarily like to talk about yourself, but we're yeah. going to really kind of dive in here because I want people to just love you the way that I do. So I, before the one question I really wanted to ask and to discuss today, the one thing I really wanted to discuss today was how you have had success, success as an American and Mexican whip, sorry, as a Mexican-American woman in sports, career, and life. So can I first ask you, how did your Mexican heritage influence your upbringing and shape your identity as a mom, athlete, and coach? Yeah, that's a really good question. So in order to understand that, you kind of have to understand I identify myself as a Chicana, which is we call it the dash in between Mexican-American. So it's that middle space. And they say it's you're neither here nor there. So I grew up, my dad is from Guadalajara, Mexico, and my mom is from Southern California. They met when my dad um, came to this country and fell in love. And um, that's how I came into existence. And uh, so, yeah, like just learning different things from my father and and his side, and then my mother, and um, and that's kind of how soccer got in, involved in my life at a young age, because my dad was, he played in Mexico, it's like, culturally in Mexico, that is the sport, like, it rules, you know, whatever family you grow up in, like, you are that team, you, you are Club America, you are Chivas, you know, so my dad had my brother in soccer, but not me. And I remember going to his AYSO games and begging my mom to let me play. Um, I don't know if that was a hard thing for my dad, like, because culturally that's also different having your daughter. Um, I was a bit more successful in the sport than my brother. <laughs> um, so yeah. And then that's kind of how I, I, I've operated as a Mexican American. I have dual citizenship because of my father. I have two passports. Um, and at the age of 19, I don't know I'm rambling a bit. That's that was my first time getting called into like a Mexican national team camp. Um, and hold on, I want to think my one of my first caps, one of my first caps was almost against the US team. And that was a little crazy because that's when I was like, hey, I said this, 
saying this national anthem a lot in school. This is weird. You know, when you're going against, um, you know, that was the time when Mia Hamm was playing uh, Julie Foudy. They were like on their farewell tour. Um, so anyway, that's like a, kind of a soft answer to what you're saying, what you asked me, how my Mexican American as a, a mother, as a coach and all these aspects that you can't help, but let it bleed into everything. You know, what I, what I hope is to be an example for other young women that maybe look like me or want to do things that I do. Cause I remember, um, really being, you can interrupt me at any time if this is, uh, you know who I really like a lot is Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer Lopez. And I'll tell you why, because she can dance, she can sing, she can be a little spicy, right? She's athletic. Remember she was a fly girl. Oh yeah. Um, and when I was growing up, like I didn't have anyone to like look up to really. I mean, she's not like that much older than me, but I always liked that she was the show. She was awesome. And I wanted to be like JLo secretly. So, um, I really think she's doing a really good job of being like a, a Latin woman and succeeding. And so that's like someone I have, that's not even in sport. So hopefully in some way I could be that as a, as a futbolista for some young player, whether it's as a mother, as a, a player, ex player, or as a coach. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I guess, I mean, when you say, you know, of course we all want to have somebody who looks like us, you know, to relate to, to open up, you know, to look up to. And what do you think the need is in the Chicana heritage for women to step up and how, you know, what advice would you give for other Chicana women who have a platform for the younger people? Yeah, I think the number one thing is exposure. Like they have to be, um, they have to be put out there so that people can look at them and see them and, and watch them succeed and, and be interviewed and, and be talked about. And I think that's how you see. I remember one camp when I was in Mexico and going by like a, the Nike store in Mexico City on our bus to the fields and just seeing a giant poster of Hope Solo um, for Nike in Mexico City. And I, and I love Hope. Like I got to play with her in Seattle and I think she's phenomenal and obviously the face of Nike at that time for women's soccer, but like not in Mexico, like they could have easily picked one of those amazing women that were representing Mexico and highlighted them um, for the country, you know, and so that little girls could be like, I want to be like Greta Espinosa one day, you know, um, or one of those, those players. So I think exposure is, is really important. And I think that's, one of the things that got me really excited about the Mexican national team was when everyone talks about watching the 99ers and that big world cup and how amazing, like I was watching Mexico versus Brazil and I was watching Maribel Dominguez and her scoring like the lone goal. They lost like eight to one, but Maribel scored like the lone goal for Mexico. And it was like that to me was like, that girl was a boss. That girl was amazing. That's amazing. And I mean, so what do you think it is? Is it, is it something culturally or is it, is it internationally? What, what are some of the reasons why you think that more, you know, Mexican women or Mexican American women are not showing up in the light, in the limelight? Um, well, it's easy for us because we're here and our exposure is like what's in the United States, but I think it's happening in Mexico, um, with the league that they started. So they have a a professional league and all of like the male teams have like a female counterpart counterpart and it follows like they have the two parts of their pro system and they've got the Liga tournament and everything and um I think that that's a very valuable avenue for like fathers to take their daughters to our young women are seeing those teams compete with with women in like all the big stadiums they play in all those stadiums so that wasn't the case when I was growing up. So there's definitely a big shift and it's going to take time because if you look at like the MLS, right? Why is the MLS, you know, it's in, it's, it's still young compared to the premier league, right? Or even Liga MX, like those are such longer, more established pro leagues. The MLS is very new. It happened in our lifetime for you and me. So that's the same with Liga MX feminine on the women's side. They're just a little bit behind the NWSL. So it's, 
it's, it's coming along for them, which is great. Yeah. I mean, the momentum is definitely great, but I still think there's, you know, there's so much to be done and, you know, more women speaking out, more women having great examples and really having more women coaches, which is kind of a epidemic in itself. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the challenges you've had as a woman coach now, if you flip it from playing to now the coaching career? Yeah. And that's where I'd love to hear from you too, because like we, when you find, at least in my early stages of coaching, when you find other women who are like legit good at their at coaching, you just gravitate to them. And I remember when I first watched you coaching a session or, or were around you and the energy you have and the way your teams played and, and listen, you were coaching in, um, you know, I don't know how to say this. Like if I'm coaching in, you know, Southern California where I'm getting my start or even Northern California, you know, um, verse like, you know, the middle of Tennessee, maybe, you know, so that's has different challenges. Um, so you are quite a light in that way to watch you because you are amazing. What are you only like, you had to claw your way to become like a director at a club for the first time, you know, those are amazing things. And so you doing something like that is really inspiring. You don't even realize when you inspire people are just watching you, you know? Um, and then that helps me because I'm, I'm not going into something. I already have a built-in mentor, like, um, someone like you. So yeah, coaching, I think we're pioneers right now. It's, it's, we're coming, there's a lot more opportunities, but when you start and you think about the coaching courses and the female to male ratio and different things like that, which is, which is fine. You just would like to see more, you know, uh, women in that, um, coaching. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, coaching representation on the sports level, sorry, female representation at the sports level in coaching is still very minimal, even it's getting better. But I, when you talked about going to those coaches and courses, which you have, you know, the A license is kind of like the, of all of the courses, Um, you know, I had done my licenses as well. And, you know, I stopped at the B, but I remember in, you know, the five different courses that I took, if I counted up how many women collectively over five courses, there were less than 10. And we're wow. talking about over the course of five different years. And I also was in courses with hundreds of men over that time. So, you know, for my B mm-hmm. license, when I went to that, which is a very hard license to get where you're gone from your family for almost two weeks. Yeah. I was one, the only woman of a 45 member class or 40 member class. Wow. And it makes it very difficult. And I think that's even some of the things like in the business world for me too, because I remember in the coaching course where we were talking about tactics and strategies of counterattacking, for example, Mm -hmm. and they were trying to have me coach a long, a long ball where you serve a ball 60 (laughs) yards in the air. And I stopped and I said, so you're having me coach something that I'm not actually probably going to be coaching at the youth women's level. And they kind of sat there for a second and they said, hmm, that's interesting. I think we've come a long way since that because that was a very long time ago. But I think that's the whole like, like when I think of that, it's like, even women in business were told, hey, this is how you have to do it this way, because, you know, this is how you're following. This is what people who have had success have done in the past. And I think it's great. We've had people in the spotlight, you know, now who are women entrepreneurs and, you know, owning global organizations, but they're still very hard to find. And yet we're told to hit that 60 yard long ball when it's like, hold on, I'm totally different. I'm a totally different business owner than someone can hit a then can hit a ball 60 yards. You know, there's so much more to me than that. And I'm just talking very generally, but it's like, I think about being the sole woman in the coaching world and how lonely that was. And yes, that's where we've built such a connection. And I think that too is happening for me in the business world. And so I guess for you, like kind of seeing it as someone who has come from, you know, club, youth player, 
to collegiate player to professional player, international player, and then now coach. What do you think are some of the key attributes that you as a former athlete are bringing to the table? As a coach? As a, I guess, as like, like, I guess, where, where do you think that, sorry, what do you think your experience as a player, Mm -hmm. how do you think your experience as a player has translated to your success as a coach and someone who is moving the needle forward in business? Oh, I think with sport, that's why we all love sport because it's such a great teacher of, of life, right? And resilience and, and how to respond to mistakes because, well, even our sport specifically, right, Nicole, because it's 90 minutes and that's what's so precious about soccer because the game is won by one goal out of nine. And that's the criticism for it too, right? In the United States, there's not enough goal scoring or successes, but it's one. That's why they rip their shirt off and, and the crowd goes crazy because it's one success out of how many moments of mistake, it's someone's mistake though, <laughs> within that success. But um, so what's so exciting about a soccer game and how you labor through the moments of the game um, to find that. So I think in what I do now with coaching, um, you know, I really like last year was probably the best year for me as a coach because I had a, a losing season and I feel like the times in my life where I've ever felt like I failed at something is where you obviously learn the most, right? So I had to learn a new uh, formation that was going to be in a new system of play with the player personnel I had that was going to try to build some attacking or, you know, different successes for, for our group. And then dealing with Gosh, I could tell you so many things I learned this year, more than all my other years of coaching, just because of that. You know, when you, when you fail at something and you feel the shame, right? Or just, you know, you walk down with your head down a little bit, you have to like regroup yourself to, to bounce back from that mistake. But it's the same thing I tell my players, you know, like it's just how you respond to your mistake. You have to bounce. You can't sit in the mud, like get up, you know, respond to it. So as time wears on, you start to put a new plan into place to have success. So I think what's helping me be uh, to add value to coaching for other women that I get to serve is because I have life experiences. I have failures, number of failures, and I have successes that does bring, you know, somewhat validity to whatever I am trying to teach them. Um so yeah, just the act of sport and how you have to be resilient within it and have discipline and leadership and all of those great values that you get from being in a team environment and you bring that to to coaching. No, I, I mean, I definitely love that. And I think you you talked about something of like when you, your best year was coming after or your best year was when you had a losing season. And so- can you talk about the process that you went through when now trying to rebuild? What are you thinking about as you're developing your team for success after a losing season? Oh, like how am I going to have success coming after that? Yeah, um, like what, what would the process, like what did your process look like for how to rebuild? Yeah. Um, you have to look at everything. I've, I've had like friends, um, in the coaching world that, you know, I I've asked them because usually after a season like that, there's, there's such a jump, you know? So I'm excited about that. Um, but for example, one of my friends who coached, um, one of the power five schools was telling me after one of their leading losing seasons, they like sent out surveys and, and, it went all the way back to they identified within the athletic training room an issue there that was like, you know, a toxic thing that was happening within that moment that bled onto these other team dynamics. So it can be anywhere, like just like really good recruiting is looking under rocks. Well, really good, like leading of a team, you can never take your foot off the gas. You can never, the moment you, you get complacent, it's, 
Everyone needs to be driven in some, you need to be in, driven, inspired, or going towards the same goal. Your face, your nose, everything is directed in that one goal that you all want to accomplish, right? So when when you're not accomplishing a goal, you have to sit back and wonder and self-diagnose yourself even as a leader, like where did I go wrong? But you look like I look at everything. I look at even well, maybe our style of play isn't good if our field, you know, our field isn't playing well. It's bumpy, and I'm asking them to keep the ball. Well, we lose it in transition because there's a bump. There, the field's not playing well. You can't even have a good first touch, you know. So why not skip that line or only play possession in that? And you know, there's so many things you can look at to try to. But you know, you overanalyze it and all of that, and and we've seen it like bad bad teams win because the culture is good, right? Or there, it could be anything. Um, so it's definitely a jigsaw and a puzzle. And that's what makes soccer so heartbreaking is the best teams don't always, you know, I can look at so many interviews, like go on Twitter and watch the coach and they're just, they'll say like, that's soccer. It's football. You know, the best team doesn't always win. I've even heard Pep say that Pep Guardiola, you know, <laughs> and he's a tactical genius with every resource. out of <laughs> I mean, I think it's so true. I mean, the best team doesn't always win. I mean, even like the best business. I mean, I do bring like to bring it back because one of the things I have difficulty with is helping to educate people on how much correlation, how many things correlate between being a coach in a sports and being a coach in sports and being a coach in business, because the fundamentals are still very similar. Like I was listening to you talk and you said, you know what, after the, you know, you had a losing season, here's some of the processes that you talk through. And I just kind of want to juxtapose them to this is how it translates exactly to business. You said you reached out to some of your colleagues at other schools. Well, that's where we as coaches also go to other coaches or mentors or, and say, Hey, how can I, you know, what am I missing here? You know, what have you done asking for people's opinions or their experiences? You also talked about the players, which very easily translatable in the business world is you're the, the employees of the organization, right? And within that, there are so many different dynamics going on, personalities, trauma, skills, mm -hmm. fatigue, whatever it may be that you may or may not know, right? And it's like, how do you get to the center of it? And then you also talked about the different inputs that could happen, whether it be, hey, the there's something in the athletic training room because you're, you have different locations. So you have athletic training room, you have the actual field. So now you're having to manage multiple locations and still create a cohesive unit when they're moving in different places. And I think that's the same with businesses too, is, you know, especially if you have multi, you know, you're, you're in multi, you're in different ge uh, geographical locations, you're still ultimately trying to have the same vision and goal as an organization, but you're now having to manage them in different locations. And how do you bring them into that overall goal of, Hey, let's move the needle forward. And I think, you know, I think that's the interesting thing for me as coming out of the coaching world is seeing how many things you can really translate into business, especially being in there as a former athlete and, knowing it with those quality of like you said, you can't take your foot off the gas or playing for those small, you know, playing for those small moments. So I would love to hear your take on, you know, like you said, soccer is not a high scoring game, but it, that is also what kind of makes it beautiful is because there are those big moments that occur that could make or break you. But I want to hear your, your talk about, what is, what preparation is needed for those big moments? Oh, preparation for big moments. Um, well, you have the physical preparation. Well, you have the team. You have you and then you within the team, right? And then as an athlete or a coach preparing. Yeah. So I would say like what, you know, what are you doing as a coach to prepare your team for big moments? Yeah. Okay. This saying is we've all heard it. Like practice has to be harder than the game, right? Whatever, whatever you're doing in training, practicing, whatever um, hardships or strain that you're putting on your players physically, 
and mentally have to be harder than the game. So when you get into the game, you know, you have to be uh, ultrally prepared. I love to tell this story because when I first um, took over this program at UNLV, I was out recruiting and there was um, a coach, uh, Rich Manning, who was coaching at Utah and he was coaching at Utah when I was playing at UNLV. So he had been, he had been there a minute and he saw me cruise up and he was, and he said, Oh, here comes the cockroaches. And I was like, what? Like, you know, I was getting all spicy, like cockroaches. Why are you calling me a cockroach? And he's like, Oh, that's what we used to call UNLV when you played there, the cockroaches. Cause you guys just, you never stopped. You just kept going, you know? And I was like, heck yeah, we're the cockroaches. You know, <laughs> I was loving it then. Um, but you don't get that way to this magnificent resilience. And, you know, any team you watch, like Champions League is going to be on today, you know, and and you're going to see something that looks spectacular on TV. I guarantee they've practiced that on the, the pitch, like hours, hours, you know, and, and everything's in tune, every set, every moment, every defensive moment, counter transition. Why are they hitting diagnosis? They trained it, you know, they've watched a video. So I think when you can prepare for these really big moments by making, putting someone through, right? Have you heard that, that saying about producing pure gold, right? You, you refine it and you put it through the fire and all the impurities come out. And so that's what you got to do to your team. And that is exhausting. That is so exhausting. And it's so hard. I think it's hard to discipline and it's hard to push someone to uncomfortable. And it's very hard to do that to another human being, but it's good for them you know, if you have that mindset. Um, so that's one thing, like with our group, we try to, we try to do what we call it one more. Um, so if I say 10 sprints, they better all be on the line and doing one more. So they do 11, you know? And so that becomes part of your culture because if such and such fill in the blank, whatever competition we have, they do 10, well, we didn't do 11. And then after 11, you know, that would be the next step of the culture. Why don't they do one more and one more and one more, you know, and nobody wants to be the one to stop. That's like pure high level, high standards. I would love to get to that point with that group. No, that's amazing. And I think that's the thing. Like, so when you have the one more mentality and I, I love that, I think that's very innovative too. And it's, you know, it's saying, Hey, we can do this. We can go, we can push ourselves further, but it's getting that complete buy-in. But in order for the buy-in to be there, there has to be a North star, right? A vision or a goal. So yes. how do you go about, you know, in a team setting, how do you go about setting their goals? What does that process and strategy look like for you and your yeah. coaches? Yeah. That part is also what's so, you have to have this like part of leadership that's really spectacular. It's the inspirational aspect of it. Like when I walk out of a meeting with, you know, other coaches where maybe we're having like a head coaches meeting, I want to walk out inspired. Like what's the vision of our university? Where are we all going? You know, um, I listened to Jeremy Gunn, the head coach at Stanford, and he, maybe this is from him, maybe it's from a book he read, but I use it all the time. And he talks about sled dogs. Is this ringing a bell at all? Where, like a group of sled dogs are all going in the same direction together, you know, and if one, if the leader of the pack isn't running, you know, he's there, you're dead weight. You all have to have that, what you call the North star and that, and when life is hard and it doesn't feel fun to run that sled dog team anymore, like that's pure. Like how do you continue to inspire, keep your foot on the gas pedal and keep your, your group, your players going towards that goal, that vision, you know, that's really spectacular. And, and you have to have a really good pulse on your group. But that's day one. That's day one when I have my team is day one. This is what we want to accomplish. This is our why and where we're going together. You know, like you're in this, like get out of the room if you're not on board with this. Like that's how you need to be bought in. <laughs> no, and I, I love that, that visual of the sled dog because it's true. It's like kind of get in line. Another thing that makes me think about is there's this concept called the first follower that I'm kind of obsessed with. Are you obsessed with this too? I love that one. I use that all the time. Okay. So I would love for you to explain in your words, first follower, because I think this is something that is definitely in the sports world, but I don't yeah. think everyone in the business world understands it yet. And yeah. I would love to make first follower a thing, especially when it comes to business. 
So yeah. can you explain in your words what first follower is? And then I'll add yeah. I will. I mean, I saw it on a TED talk, um, but I'll, I'll give you an example of it with my one more story when we started to try to incorporate that into our culture. So the first follower, so you've got like the leader, the what, the crazy one that goes out and does something that nobody, you know, it seems crazy. Like the, they, they have a, a visual of a guy like dancing at a concert and he just looks like a lunatic. He's crazy. But the first follower is actually the most courageous and the most brave one because they go and, and they join it, you know, and then you have the other followers and it becomes a movement. But so you've got the leader, the first one to do it, but actually the most important, the catalyst is the first follower. So with our one more story, when I tried to, you know, like for me, like I've competed, like there's like, I can't play Scrabble. I can't like, if you want to do rock, paper, scissors, like I will take your ankles out. Like I want to win at everything. There's like something inside me, but not everyone has that hunger. Like I, I can't sleep when I lose a game. Like it, it means I'm so competitive. Um, so this one more thing, it's like, for me, I'm like, yeah, like you do extra, like you're training. I trained for a world cup. I would do triple days, you know? So when I brought it to UNLV with the players, you know, and just kind of suggesting like, hey, why don't you guys like do extra running, you know? And then I started to teach him about first follower, you know, because so that I'll never forget the day there was one girl who was like, one more, like they just did 10 reps, like hard. And they're scared to say one more because they don't want to put their team through, you know? And she was like on the line, she's like, one more, you know? <laughs> and then everyone was like, oh girl, you did not just say that. And then the first follower was like, yeah, let's go one more. And then they're like, let's go, you know? And that's when you get the chills. You're like, now we're cooking. Now this is a movement, right? But the first girl who was like, you know, wasn't so confident until first follower came around. Well, I think that's the beauty of teams, right? I mean, yeah. people, I mean, people who have your back and that's what sports has done. I mean, I think that the athlete mentality, because I share with you that very, very competitive edge and the fact that we both got so freaking pumped up, ready to jump through the, you know, through the camera at each other because we love first followers so much. It just shows like there's definitely a uniqueness about being an athlete. I actually was, I'm a big article person and studier. And so I want to, so I was looking at this Gallup survey. It has, uh, sorry, this Gallup study of NCAA students. Have you seen it? No, I haven't, but we use, we've, I've used Gallup with my team. Okay, perfect. The strengths finder. The strength well, I would love to talk about that as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So I saw this study in Gallup and of NCAA student athletes, and it says that they found that NCAA student athletes are more likely than non-athlete college graduates to earn educational degrees beyond their undergraduate program to thrive in their well-being overall, sorry, to thrive in their well-being overall and are more likely than non-athletes to have donated to their alma mater. Which I thought was very interesting. I would love to hear kind of your yeah. opinion on the student athletes and that continuing ed, overall well-being. Why do you think that this positivity is coming from people who have played sports? And again, this is just for, for you know, collegiate athletes, but I yeah. think it kind of also plays a role as to there's a lot of studies out also about people who just play high school sports. So can you explain why or in your opinion, why do you think that having an athletic foundation while also studying and going to school is creates such a lasting positive impact on you afterwards? Yeah. Um, I can only use probably my personal experience to give my opinion. And I think, um, as an athlete, you always are striving for more, right? So if, if you're surrounded by a ton of human beings who have all gotten their undergraduate degree, well, you got to be better. You got to get more, you know, that's what I, I wanted when I went for to grad school. I was like, well, I'm just going to get one more feather in my cap, you know, that striving to be great. Um, and then also like success, if your whole life, you've gotten these endorphins and these good feelings from successful moments, whether it's scoring a goal or your coach being pleased with you or however it is, like you want more of it. So you're always going to strive for more. And then you have that nostalgic feeling. Well, where did I have those good feelings last? I had it at my alma mater, you know, in this atmosphere. And I went to battle with these people, you know, and we came out 
you know, through this highly stressful situation and you're bonded. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that there, it's very difficult. I I think it's very hard to replicate the true team setting of athletes because, yeah. you know, it, after college, I, I say, because, you know, you're there fighting with people for people, you know, sorry, you're there fighting alongside people towards a common goal, but you're also competing with them yeah. for playing time. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that creates a very unique dynamic is that, you know, those who are going to put in the work, if they put in the extra work, they may or may not, it may not have a positive result. You know, there's that delayed gratification, which is another one of my favorite words, but it may or may not have a positive result. But if you continue to not put in the extra work and someone's getting ahead of you, then you know that you're definitely not going to get what you, you know, get more playing time. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for me in the business setting, one of the things I would love to change is learning and development, you know, training, like you said, everything's happening in training. Training should be the hardest thing so that when you show up to the arena, when you show up to the game and you lace up your boots, you're ready to go because you've already done the hard work. Yeah. And, you know, when I think about businesses and I think about, you know, my career in general, I have followed forward as an athlete in my mentality about training. I am an avid reader. I am an avid researcher. I am an, I want to talk to all those who have succeeded. I'm constantly asking questions. And I think that eventually will pay off. But I also think that there's a blessing and a curse from being a professional athlete. Because one question that I ask myself, I'm going to pose it to you is, when is it enough? When is learning enough? When have I won? Is there such a thing as winning? And how do I know when I made it? Yeah. That's a, that's, well, that's, I was thinking even before you got to this question about the amount of collegiate athletes when they leave their sport, that, that depression that follows because your identity has been found in your sport for so long. And um, I had my club coach I grew up with would always tell us like, never be content. You know, he would say three goal difference and you're never content. You always want more, you know? So I, I lived my life that way. Don't ever be content, but you cannot do that in all aspects of your life. You're miserable, you know? And I think for example, with coaching and I talked about this losing season being such a great thing for me as a human being and growing um, because you have to figure out your values, right? What is success? You know, is success that we had X amount of young women graduate? Was success that these girls came back from her ACL? Was it success that they're thriving, you know, in in their life and they're going to go, they have these internships and we're creating women who are going to go crush the world. You know, what are, what is that value system looks like, looks like? Oh, I don't know, girl. This is something I struggle with all the time because I, I can't, I can't, t- I can't stop myself from wanting to do more. Or I'm not good enough or I have to keep pushing. So if you find the answer. Well, I don't know. know if I've particularly found the answer, but I, I guess kind of going, I think for me, I can only speak personally for me, but I think the lack of knowing what was beyond sport was the issue is mm-hmm. that, you know, and that's where I really tried to change when I was, uh, you know, an athletic coach because mm-hmm. They could spend a week with me, a season with me, years with me, but eventually they're going to move on. And my role as a coach, and I continue this in my business today, my role as a coach is to get you as far as I can in the time that I have to set you up for whatever next success looks like. And I didn't, I don't know, I definitely have had coaches like that, but I think that was what, what the missing piece was, is There's the level of dynamic of both team and individual. Yes, we have to all as a team work towards a common goal. But if you're, you know, I have, there's a quote, I think it's, I forget who says it, but it's like, if you're going to have a team of individuals, you better, the individuals better know their role on the team, something Mm -hmm. along those lines. And I think there's not enough time spent on understanding individual roles and how that plays a part into the team vision. So that being said, I would love to have an understanding from your perspective 
what is the vision that you have set forth for your team and how do you communicate that at the individual level with the players that you coach? Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, long pause. Uh, vision. So, so what- we have our team identity and then we have like our team values. So our team values are, uh, it spells out digs with a bunch of S's and the S's are my favorite. So discipline, integrity, grit, and then the S's are selfless, suffer, sacrifice, serve. All of those S's are putting others ahead of yourself, you know, and that's creating a good team environment, no ego, you know, like you're, you're serving, you're, you're suffering, you know, um, and then our team identity is I went when I came and I looked at what was successful when I was here. Um, and I looked at the city itself of Las Vegas and, and what I thought would be successful for women's soccer here in Las Vegas. And I came up with that. We are the hardest working team. We want to be the hardest working team. Cause that's what, so we're, it's pretty spectacular. Our field overlooks the strip. So I do this all the time. I have, I bring them out there like day one. I have them just look at the lights like Vegas, you know, and, and I tell them to ignore every aspect of Las Vegas from the tourist aspect. That's not what Vegas is. Vegas is there's, there's, there's women in those hotel rooms that are working three jobs to support their family. You know, there's grinders. There's people who came to Vegas with zero, with nothing. And they made something. That's what this town is. And that's how we're going to play. So I try to, incorporate like our team identity. So hardest working team. Um, first, you always have to be first, you know, you, you want to be first and strive to be the best. I, I hate like when a session ends and you know what, this is something you don't even know that I remember one time I watched you coaching a session and it was like high tempo. I asked you a question. I don't even know what I asked you, but your answer, I remember your answer was everything has to be competitive. They have to always feel like they're going to call the score out. You got to call the score out. You know, like they have to know it's not just, you know, they need to, you know, women at an elite level, they want that. They want to compete and they want that environment. Right. So hardest working team and you got to be first. So if you end practice and you didn't win this, the day of practice, you better come back and be better tomorrow. You, you, you lost winners, losers. We're like so scared to say that in our society now, like you're a loser, you're a winner, you know, cause it doesn't sound very kind but that's what's what's in sports you know it's just what you do after you've failed or lost you know that's that really shows the character of the human being so and then better each day as part of our identity um so maybe everyone has a bad day you have a bad day at the office it's what you do after you know you have to be inching so some growth is that and some growth is like so minuscule you need someone to tell you you're actually getting better you know you don't feel it um so we create that. And then within that, we have our, our vision and our goal is always to, we'd like to, you know, win our conference and go to the NCAA tournament and kind of do some historic things that UNLV has never done before. That's amazing. Now, you know, I think there's, there's different types of players on any team, right? So we're talking sports here, but there are different types of players on any team. You have, you know, you have your superstars, you have your grinders, you have your role players. Yeah. Do you coach them all the same or how do you coach different players and different styles? Yeah. The, I, I, I do not. Okay. With being a parent, <laughs> you can have favorites, right? You love your kids the same, both, right? But you have to parent them different. They're different human beings. So the same with coaching, like I want them to know, I love, I care about all of them. I'll do anything, you know, you're in trouble. Call me like I'm there, you know, questions asked, let's solve this. Let's get through it. But within like, they're all different players and like you said, different roles that they're going to fulfill. So the individual meetings with them and talking to them and kind of coaching them through what those role is, whether it's acceptance of it, you know, or how can we get you to this one? If this is something that you want to do. Yeah. You have to coach them differently. I think, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, we had talked about before you had said that you had used the Gallup strengths finder as part of your process that you work with your kids. Can you explain that? And then I think we could probably talk a little bit about, you know, how we could coach people differently. Cause I think that's an interesting, you know, jump off point is personality tests or different motivator tests. So can you talk a little about 
the can you talk about the Gallup, the Strengths Finder, and how you've incorporated that into your team? Yeah, I'll do my best and please fill in the holes with any of it. But I can't take credit because it was one of my assistant coaches kind of was the leader with it. But we have a leadership group. So we had the leaders um, take the strength finder test. And basically what it is, is it'll give you like your top five uh, strengths. And um, yeah, what I found it, and this is where you have to fill in the, the blanks for me. What I found the most beneficial for was the shadow sides of the, the, of your strength. Um, I'm trying to think of maybe some of the strengths. One was, one was like the, I only remember the shadow sides, not my strength really, but like the shadow side was to one of my strengths was that I get to a point like logically it makes sense in my head, but I, the people around me are confused. Like they haven't seen how I got to that point, you know? And so it taught me like, oh my gosh, when I'm developing my, my session plan, or I'm telling them why we're doing something and it looks more like I'm a dictator. I've actually like thought about it so much. I need to explain this process so that they can join me in, in which direction we're going in. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, and that's, I it's funny. So yeah, the strength finder, I think is very unique because it does, it does talk about your five strengths and basically that gives you, it fills out your five strengths. And then you get, I believe you get kind of like a report that says, this is how to look at it. And then there's words yeah. where I don't know if that's the print assessment. Have you heard of it? Yeah. yeah. It gives you like a, the, the, all of like, it breaks down each strength for you and yeah. different details. I'm definitely not an expert on okay. it. Okay. <laughs> but either way you talk about there's two sides to every human right you have when they're in their best self and when they're in their not best self which they call the shadow traits right and yeah. it's I think it's very interesting especially to use in teams and I think it's amazing and innovative that you're using them and kudos to your assistant coach you know you're using them with your team because it's important to recognize when someone's living in their brilliance because you can help really continue to move them forward. That's like true trajectory. Let's go, let's go. But when they're in the shadow, there's some trigger that put them there, right? And I think that's where understanding and having that communication is by understanding because you share, you know, when we, when you use the strengths finder, like the way I've used in the past is you have a group of people who take the strengths and then you share the, the positives and the negatives and you select your mm-hmm. shadow traits and your I forget the other one, but you select your positive traits and you select your shadow traits and then you share with the group. So now you're opening up a area of communication to say where if someone is not is acting in their shadow trait, you come from empathy instead of pointing at them and saying, hey, you're being an asshole today. Like that's not the case. They're coming from the shadow trait because something that triggered them is putting them into that. And so it's like, okay, then if I know that about them, I can now move myself out. I can be more outward mindset versus inward mindset and saying, hey, here, I'm going to leave you be, or maybe we even take that a step further and say, hey, when you're in your shadow, what does help look like? So that I know if I can recognize that you're not in that great zone, how do I help you? Do you want to be left alone? Do you want to talk? Do you need a hug? I think that's the interesting thing. You have all these different personality test, which would go back to like love languages. If you said, Hey, I'm in my shadow. Okay. What do you want? Do you want a hug? Oh, your love language is physical touch. Do you want me to pick you up and with words? Oh, you're, you know, words of affirmation, you know? Yeah. And I think it's very interesting to utilize it on the soccer level, but I think that, oh, they're in the business side too. A lot of people are using that because how do you really understand people's motivators? Most people don't even know, mm-hmm. you know? So I always find yeah. that very interesting. Would you think that like what kind of invades operating so empathetically, all the things like you're saying would be like selfishness or what would prevent like a leader from helping their team in those ways? You know, like you, for example, if the leader doesn't have those traits to 
ask someone, Hey, are you operating in this space? Do you know what I mean? Like then it is the house, is it a dumpster fire? Is the house going to burn down? Well, I think that, I mean, it does come back to processes of communication. So I think in my opinion, there are different ways that you could go about it or different tools. So Mm -hmm. say for instance, you're not someone like you or myself who we really will go to someone say, Hey, let's talk about this. Here's how I'm feeling, you know, and we're very upfront about it. So I don't think that it's necessarily a problem that you don't do that, but you do have to figure out a style. If you are a leader, you are in a role that is responsible for leading others, period, Mm -hmm. end of sentence. Mm -hmm. How you choose to do that should be unique to you. So leading can be by example, Leading can be by really getting in with other people and finding out what they need help with. Leading Mm -hmm. can be sending a survey, Mm -hmm. right, to find out and then addressing it in an email. And maybe it isn't as personal, but there's different ways to lead. But I think what the important thing is then is if you have a leader who doesn't sit in empathy, you do also need to have them surrounded with other leaders who do. So mm-hmm. the diversification of leadership has to be there. Not that every, because everyone can't be everything in every way. Like I may not be as tactical, but I'm much more emotional than the leader next to me. But if you have emotional leader, emotional leader, emotional leader on a leadership team, and you don't have different types of leaders, then where are you going to go? <laughs> because you're all the same person. That's not inclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, I think that's what I think about is like, you don't have to do it one way, but you're still responsible. And if you don't do it, then whoever's leading you needs to have that hard conversation and help mm-hmm. with learning and development or allow you to flourish in another role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we're brutal though, because <laughs> we're former athletes, but you know, there is some brutality that I think does come out with it. And it's, yeah. And so with that being said, one of the things I personally, you had talked about earlier, one of the things that I personally have struggled with is the identity piece. And thankfully now in my late thirties, I'm finding more and way, more and more ways to express myself authentically. But my identity as an athlete was both a blessing and a curse to me. How do you feel about the transition point and your identity from athlete to coach to mom? And where have you had success or struggled? Mm-hmm. Well, my hardest time personally was when I took like a seven year gap from the sport. And I like, I was one of those people who like, I was, I thought I was always going to be like that old lady in the co-ed leagues you know? And, um, so when I, when I didn't like touch a ball or do anything for so long and started my family, I just knew, like, obviously I, I, I have a strong faith component to my life and I felt like, so like, why, why was that such a big part of my life? Like this, God, this has got to come back in somehow, you know? And, and so it did seven years later when I was able to like rejoin the Mexican national team and, kind of a really cool career that let me feel like, okay, I did it. Like check. Like I felt like I didn't have good closure on my soccer career and, and now I did. And because of my career extending into my early thirties and I mean, what do you, I didn't go and get a PhD in anything. I, my PhD is in soccer. So you just naturally, and I had to coach soccer in order to play at that high level um, financially to support, you know, like my family, Um, so I went into coaching and I don't know now that what I'm in, I'm ever going to get rid of that identity of being a soccer player because it's part of a lot of the DNA. And so I kind of embrace it and I enjoy it, but I have other identities, um, being a mom, you know, like sometimes one time I overheard my kids telling another kid, like, Hey, my mom played in the world cup. And they were bragging about me. And I was, and they could have cared less. Like they showed up at the World Cup and were reading a book. Like their mom's <laughs> in the World Cup and they didn't even watch me, you know? Um, but to know like, wow, that's they're they're bragging about me, they're proud of me, and and it kind of feels really special. 
you know, that I was able to do that at an age that they could appreciate it. And uh, yeah, so I'm just really grateful for everything. You know, soccer for me was really spectacular because I grew up, you know, through almost every single social class. So when I was in the bottom and my family was, was struggling a little bit, like soccer was a really special time for me. And it was my consistent thing that really helped me. And it provided a, a means for me to get to college. If I didn't go to college, I wouldn't have met my husband. If I didn't meet my husband, I wouldn't have my kids, you know, like so many things. So. Oh, that's, that's amazing. So, I mean, I guess one of the things too is being a mom, which is such a big part of your life. I know we've talked a lot about soccer and strategy and business, but what advice would you give to women who want to be coaches and professionals? Yeah. And also balance being a really kick-ass mom. Yeah. This, Nicole, this is the question. Like, how do we do it? Because a lot of times, like you'll go out and read press releases, like someone left this coaching rink because they wanted to spend more time with their kids. I mean, that's something that you deal with. Me and my staff, we call it mom guilt. You know, you just feel guilty being away from them or, you know, when you should feel like I'm providing for them or I'm doing these things. I, I don't know the answer to that because I think it's very hard to juggle all those things. And the only reason personally I feel like I can do it is because I have my husband who is really supportive um, for me. But I, I do find it challenging because when when do you coach? You coach in the, you know, if you're club coaching, for example, you're coaching in the, the evenings. And, and if your kids are in school, then when are you going to see them? If you're coaching a team, are you coaching their team? Well, now that's a new dynamic too. Now, you know, you're adding mom and becoming coach. So I think it's really hard. We need to figure out ways for this to be, I mean, I've got some ideas. Really? No, let's hear them. I would love to hear some ideas of, you know, that's kind of the next one is what are some ideas of how we can start to attract more women to coaching and not losing them from coaching? Um. I'm just going to like vomit things out. So maybe I'll regret these when I look back at them over time. But I, there's a club in Seattle, Pac Northwest, and there is the most female coaches I've ever seen at a club or at that club. And the, the directors are phenomenal. And I just see so much um, of a means of having, bringing your kid to work or how you work, you know, it, there's just grace with that. And so that makes it easy and you can be vulnerable and there's that piece. I think, I think if you make it lucrative enough, then people are going to make it work, you know, for, for you to, to do those jobs because you can pay for other things that would help you, you know, or not have to do two jobs, um, more coaching education, um, more pathways for women. I mean, having, it's going to happen because I remember that too. I'm bringing up like you're flooding these memories. Um, I remember you telling me one time when you were coaching your team, it's like you would like maybe let's say you painted your nails a certain color, like the next day, all your players would have that color on, you know, or they just like they need. I mean, did you ever have like how many female coaches did you have growing up? One. Yeah. And was I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but maybe that was a new coach. Maybe they didn't really know, you know, like. No, I mean, she's, I mean, she's still someone who I look up to, you know, when I think of all the coaches, as far as someone who saw me as a human being and not just as like a number player, I mean, Mm -hmm. I have had good coaches, but um, her name was Maggie. And actually she just recently reached out to me after years and years. I haven't even talked to her because she found old pictures of my best friend and me playing and my best friend has since passed. And so she sent them to me. And to me, it's like, First of all, shout out Maggie. I'm going to find a way to find you in this. Maggie. But yeah. And she was a Rutgers alumni as well, but it's stuff like that. And that is not normal coaching. Like, I don't know of many people who would think of you years later and say, I know that this person would really want this thing, or I'm just going to yeah. reach out to you. And I think yeah. that is the beauty of having females in the game. There's, there's that, you know, there's definitely, you know, a lot of us have masculine, very masculine energy. You know, but we also do have that feminine energy. And I think that very loving and here, like wanting to hear someone and love on them too, like that's unique. Yeah. Because you spend a lot of time. You spend 
just as much time with your coaches as you do with your family half the time. Yeah. Yeah. Big influence. Yeah. 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 I didn't have like a really major like female coach. I, I did when I went to Seattle with Laura Harvey, who is amazing. But I, I remember coaching recently and one of my players came up to me and said, oh, like, coach, I want to be like you. I want to play until I can't play anymore. And then I'm going to coach, you know, and like, that's so like, that's cool. That's her path. Like way that, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I would have never said that when I was, I didn't even say when I was younger, I wanted to be a pro soccer player because the people would have laughed at me. The MLS didn't even like, what, where are you going to go? MLS, you know, like, so I think that's really spectacular. So there's going to be a shift just because there's so many opportunities happening. It's a really exciting time. It is. I, and I'm, I'm excited to watch it and continue to watch you flourish and, you know, your career, oh, not just trying. as a coach, but in all the different ways, you know, you've showed up on TV, you've done broadcasting and it's been amazing. Mm -hmm. Like that's how we reconnected. I was watching a women's national team game. The U S women were playing. And all of a sudden I just, I'm cooking dinner and I see Jenny in the back. I hear this voice. I'm like, I cannot, I know that voice and I lose <laughs> my mind, you know, and it's just like, you know, but I think that's the thing it's, you know, creating these connections, especially as females in the coaching world, whether it be sports or just female colleagues, there's such beauty of sharing this, especially at when you're at a high level saying, Oh, there's someone else who's doing it too. I'm not alone. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, this has been amazing, but one thing that I have to do before we wrap up is I love to ask my guests five questions and they are called thrive in five. So Jenny, are you ready for this? Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. How do you bring your quirk into work? My quirk into work. Um, I am just really loud and have a lot of energy. And I think that's because of being a Tikana. So I just let it flow. You know, I think people can tell I'm not having a good day. if I'm not jumping off the walls. I want to appear to everyone like I've had way too much coffee. That's how I want to live my life. <laughs> I love that is that is quotable right there. Had to, I want to, everybody to think I've had too much coffee. That's great. I love it. <laughs> All right. Who is doing something outside of the box that inspires you and why? Oh, okay. That one is really hard. Not that I'm, I think there's so many people that are, that's inspiring me. The one I just thought of this, this is going to like take away the energy from this, but there's like a lady at my church and she's like a widow you know, and she's thriving. That's a, you know, and she's um, just learning new things and so sharp and so much joy. And I mean, that's like a hard place, time of life to be in. And she is very inspirational to me. <laughs> well, that's, that's amazing. It's beautiful to celebrate someone, especially like you're watching, you know, you're looking at the person as a unique individual and it's not traditionally, you know, outside of the box, how people would feel you know? Yeah. That's amazing. All right. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Um, that was when last summer, when I got to do the thing with, um, CBS, which was so amazing. And I was so grateful to do that, but that was the first time I'd ever done that. And that was so fun. That's amazing. Well, we got to make another last time, first time sometime recently. I know. What did you, well, I want to hear yours. Do you ever answer? What's your last time, first time? Hmm. My last time, first time. It's a hard question. It is a hard question. I'll get the semantics of it down. No, to it, <laughs> it is a hard question. Um, let's see. I edited a podcast by the pool yesterday. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I know. You're a jack of all trades now. You can do everything. This is the first time I've worn this shirt. There you go. <laughs> You're good. I love it. Oh my gosh. All right. If you were to write an autobiography right now, what would be the last sentence in your book? I don't know. I don't want to do a book about me. I feel 
horrible. Um, she was in tune with God. And she didn't give up. Something like that. I love it. <laughs> All right. What? This is the last one. Okay. What, what does it mean to you to thrive differently? Oh, thrive differently. Um, thrive makes me think of like you're doing it and you're happy, you know, you're going for it and, and differently is like different ways of, of doing it. So to me, thrive differently in the scope of what I'm doing in my life is, yeah, you can't do that without saying the word like authentic, right? You're having success while being true to like the manner and the, the means and the way you want to do it. That's a good one. I got to hear your answer. <laughs> oh my goodness. You keep flipping it on me. I'm going to see you cracking me up. You're better talker than me. I'm going to have a whole podcast episode download. Um, oh, I got to watch Dedicated that. to, yeah, I'll have a whole podcast dedicated to what it means to me to thrive differently. So oh, it's going to be good. Stay tuned. People better watch that one. <laughs> well, this has been such a pleasure. But before we go, please let me know and tell my audience, please tell my audience where they can find you and what's coming up next for you. Um, you can't really find me anywhere. I'm a hermit. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. What's your, what's your handles? Uh, Jen Ruiz 13. Um, and what's coming up next for me? Um, it's the fun summer. I have one thing happening at the end of June, but it's not official yet. I'll tell you off the camera. <laughs> well, hopefully when this launches, it'll be right around the time. So this could be like a dual promo for you as well. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It has been amazing to connect with you and hear all the amazing things. And I love your perspective on just being a coach and a mom and an athlete and your mission to help more women succeed in this world and using sports as your, what is the word? Vehicle? Vehicle. Your vehicle. Yeah. As your vehicle. Yes. Well, thank yes. you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome.